Throughout history, the world has known countless kings, some noteworthy, but all flawed. That's the difference between the world's kings and the king of kings. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah wraps up the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, with a closer look at the kingship of Christ. Listen now as David shares his message, Is He King of the Jews or King of Kings? Well, the Bible is very clear about the fact that Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews, but is He more than that? Oh, yes. And we're going to talk about it today here on Turning Point. Hey, I want to thank you for being with us as we have taught this series on the life of Jesus. We called it The Jesus You May Not Know. It's based on a full-length major book that I've written, and it is accompanied by a study guide and a series of CDs. You can get the book, the study guides, and the CDs, and you can have a small group Bible study. You can have a Sunday school class. You can use it to review in your own personal devotionals. The materials are prepared and strategized and carefully woven together for you. Take advantage of them today at davidjeremiah.org. And don't forget, today is the last day we can make available to you the devotional for 2024. This beautiful leather-covered devotional book called Walking with Jesus provides a daily reading for every single day of the new year. And this year, there are 366 readings because we're headed into a leap year. We want you to have this to get started with each day, to help you get motivated spiritually and moving in the right direction. You will use it. It will be your constant companion in the new year. And it's yours for the asking when you send your year-end gift to Turning Point. And today is the last day. Don't wait any longer. Here is today's message. Is he king of the Jews or is he king of kings? You know, among the historic figures that have dotted the landscape of history over the years, a chosen few have been called great. These characters are like monuments on the pages of time, and they are kings who wielded extraordinary power or left an unusual mark. In the time of the Bible, we have Cyrus the Great, we have Darius the Great, Xerxes the Great, Herod the Great. Between the Old and New Testaments, the world was changed forever by the rise of Alexander the Great, and Europe also came under the sway of Charles the Great. There have actually been quite a few greats. Encyclopedias list more than 130 characters in history known as the Great. But here's the interesting thing. The greatest king that the world has ever known is Jesus, and he is never once in the Bible called Great. There's no Jesus the Great. There's no Christ the Great. He's not on a list with 130 other greats because his greatness isn't derived from a comparison with other people. He is in a class by himself. He stands absolutely alone in history. He is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today as we look into his royalty, we're going to examine it in two ways. First of all, we're going to talk about five of his royal titles and then we're going to look into his regal throne. Let's begin understanding that there are five different terms in the Bible that define the kingship of Jesus. First of all, he is called the king of the Jews. Let's begin with our Lord's unusual title. 
There are two periods in the life of Jesus when he is referred to as the king of the Jews. Hardly any time in between those two periods and never in the Old Testament. He is called the king of the Jews at his birth. Matthew says, and after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Local rabbis told them about Micah's prophecy of Bethlehem as the birthplace of Christ. And so the Magi traveled on to Bethlehem And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. He was the king. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him kingly gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Others become kings upon the death of another, but Jesus was born a king that he might die for another, for you and for me. That leads to his death where he is also referred to as the king of the Jews. Almost without exception, no mention of that title between his birth and his death, but when you get to the passion narrative, we see Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, the governor, and he asked Jesus this question. He said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, it is as you say. Addressing the mobs before him, Pilate shouted, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And they responded, as you know, crucify him. Crucify the king of the Jews. Pilate handed over Christ for crucifixion, along with a strange order for the executioners. A sign was nailed to the top of the cross bearing the words, King of the Jews. If you had passed the crucifixion scene that day, you would have seen that sign on top of the cross, King of the Jews. And the chief priests objected, and they demanded that Pilate change the inscription from the King of the Jews to he said, I am the King of the Jews. And I love what Pilate said. He said, what I have written, I have written. This was our Lord's title in his birth and in his death, uttered by the Magi and the magistrates and the mob and the markings over his cross and the master himself, Jesus was king of the Jews. The Bible also tells us that he is king of Israel. In a similar way, Jesus is called the king of Israel. First person who ever called him that was a disciple named Nathaniel, One day in John 1, 49, he said to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John 1, 49. Approximately three years later, at the Lord's triumphal entry on Sunday, large numbers of people celebrated his arrival in Jerusalem. And what did they say? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Five days later, as he suffered on Golgotha, one of his enemies shouted sarcastically, if he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. As the king of Israel, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 16, we read these words, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. The throne of Israel would be occupied by the king of Israel, said the prophecy of Samuel. According to this and other scriptures, Jesus Christ is the only rightful everlasting heir to the throne of David. And in a passage we often again quote at Christmas, I'm not getting a head start, but here it is. From the prophet Isaiah we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen carefully. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus is the rightful heir to the kingship of Israel because he comes through the lineage of David and he now, according to the Bible, during that particular time, occupy the throne of David. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel, but the Bible also says he's the king of kings. This is our Lord's ultimate title of royal honor. We learn in Revelation 19 that when he comes the second time, this is how it will go. I saw the heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. No matter what's happening, I'm glad he's my savior. I'm glad he's my shepherd. I'm glad he's my friend. But I'm also glad he's the supreme commander of the universe and beyond. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of kings. And the Bible says he's king over the whole earth. When he returns, Jesus will be known as king over all the earth. If Revelation 19 is the New Testament's most dramatic description of the second coming, there's a passage you may not know about. You should write down and read it sometime. Zechariah chapter 14 is considered the Old Testament counterpart to Revelation 19. Here's what it says. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord. On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it to the east to the Dead Sea and half of it to the west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter, and the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The kingdom was inaugurated when he came the first time. It will be consummated when he comes again. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is my king. And finally, the fifth name for his kingship, he's the king of glory. So Jesus came down here, and for 30-some years he lived on this earth in perfection. And they took this one from heaven, and they nailed him to a cross. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose again. And for 40-some days he was on this earth, demonstrating that he was indeed the resurrected Savior. And we often leave the story there, but we don't ever stop to figure out what it was like in heaven when Jesus got back home. What do you think it was like? Well, I think I know what it was like because I believe the psalmist prophetically tells us what it is like. I believe the psalmist tells us that it was like this. Psalm 24, 7 through 10 Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And he walked back into heaven and he sat down because his work was finished. He is the King of glory. In those days when you feel like everything's gone every which direction but the one you thought it should go you just need to stop and look up into heaven and say thank you dear god that jesus christ is in control and i might not understand what's going on right now but he's my king those are his royal titles let me talk with you secondly about his regal throne i can give you a pretty good description because our lord is in heaven enthroned I wish I could take the time to read to you from Isaiah chapter 6 or Revelation chapter 4 how he is described, but you can do that. It's pretty impressive. No video could ever capture the majesty of the enthroned Jesus. And the Bible says that you and I are to not lose sight of that. Colossians 3 says, If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on these things. So let me ask you a question I had to ask myself. When was the last time you meditated on the enthroned Christ seated at the right hand of the Father? Just sat there and allowed your mind to picture that the God of the universe who created us with the word of his mouth and his son Jesus Christ seated together in glory in all of their majesty, totally in control of all that happens, If that's true, if we have a royal regal king seated on the throne in heaven, what should that mean to us? First of all, we should praise him with all of our heart. We should worship him. That's what we're going to do. Remember when the Magi bowed down and worshiped the Christ child, if they worshiped him in his humility as the king of the Jews, how much more should we worship him now as the king of kings in glory? We can start worshiping now. We can bless the one with honor and glory and power given to him who sits on the throne, the lamb, forever and ever. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I'm not very good at it. Well, it doesn't matter. Just do it. You get gooder when you do it. (laughs) Praise like prayer is not something you can learn about in a book. You learn about it by being obedient. We have been commanded to praise our God because there's no sound in the world like the sound of corporate praise. 
when all the people of God who come to the house of God lift up their voices of praise to the God that they love and worship. Whatever opportunity that you have, just remember, he's worthy of our praise. And it is our privilege and our joy and our opportunity to lift up our voices to him in adoration. Number two, bring him all your needs. Did you know that his throne is the ultimate destination of our prayers? In the book of 2 Kings and the 19th chapter, there's a story about an Assyrian army that encircled the city of Jerusalem, and King Hezekiah had no hope of saving his throne or his people. The Assyrian emperor sent a letter demanding his surrender, but Hezekiah turned to another king seeking deliverance. He went up to the temple and he spread out the letter before the Lord, praying, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. And he laid out the letter before him. Have you ever done anything like that? I've got a few letters I had to lay out before the Lord. Lord, what do I do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? And the Bible says, as he prayed to him who sat on the throne, the Lord sent a mighty answer, and the city was miraculously saved. Men and women, we can do the same with our perplexities and our problems. The example of Hezekiah is a visual picture of kneeling before the throne and spreading out our problems. We can take our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. One of the most well-known verses about prayer in the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You almost sometimes feel like you want to apologize for bothering him. And yet our problems are so important to us. We do as the king did. We take our problems and we spread them out before the Lord. And we say, Lord, what do we do with this? The king of glory sits on the throne of grace and he listens with deepest sympathy to every plea of his children. You have access to a listening king, so you should cultivate a praying heart. Number three, praise him with all your heart, bring him all your needs, trust him in all your circumstances. You may know Romans 8, 28. We call it the pillow promise, because if you get this one, you can sleep. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you realize that one of the reasons God turns our burdens into blessings is because Jesus Christ is praying for us. We have learned that during this series. It's been kind of a revelation to some of us. It is Christ who died, says Romans 8:34, and furthermore, it is Christ also who is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and what is he doing there? He is making intercession for us. Not until we get to heaven, men and women, will we ever know even a little of what he has done for us beyond our knowledge, behind the scenes. Sometimes we'll have something going this way, and all of a sudden it looks as if some dramatic thing has happened to turn it the other way. And what do we say? It was just amazing. It was like a coincidence. Here's what I've been learning in my life. The more things that I pray about, the more coincidences happen. Because Jesus is on his throne, you can press forward with endurance and you can pray. 
Let me tell you one of the things I have learned as a pastor. Jesus does not answer 100% of the prayers we do not pray. He does not answer 100% of the prayers we do not pray. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Here's a little paradigm about your circumstances. Here it is. We need to make sure we stay under everything that is above us so that we can stay over everything that is below us. What does that mean? You and I need to make sure that we stay under the sovereign control of Almighty God. He's above us. Let's stay under Him. Let's worship Him. Let's submit to Him. Let's stay under everything that's above us so that we can get over everything He puts under us. In other words, until we come to acknowledge the authority of Almighty God, it's pretty hard for Him to ever want to give us any authority over anything else. The greatest lesson of leadership is, first of all, can you follow? Let's make sure we stay under everything he has put over us so that we can stay over everything he has put under us. Here's number four. Anticipate him through all your days. Do you know that in the very center of New Jerusalem, there is something to behold? Revelation 22.1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. What's the central thing when you get to heaven? You walk in, and it's like in the center of it all is the throne of God. Try to imagine the center of that glorious city, the spectacular throne of God, Jesus sitting there at the headwaters of the crystal river that flows throughout the city. No, the anticipation that should bring to our hearts. No wonder the chapter ends with the words, even so come, Lord Jesus. Only one king I've ever heard about belongs to eternity. Jesus doesn't belong to the ages. He belongs to eternity. He reigns peerless in time. He's the king of an endless empire. He rules above the stars and within our hearts. He's the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. As we come to the end of this series, let us be reminded that Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is the Son of God. He is both from eternity, and he is from history. He's in the Old Testament. Yes, he is, and he's in the New. He's praying for us while we're praying to him. And while we are seeking him, he is seeking us. He enables us to do greater works than he ever did. He's both the teacher of the truth and the truth to be taught. While he resides up there, he is present down here. He is living even though he died. And he is the king of the Jews. And he is the king of kings. Hallelujah. What a savior. What a savior we have. Well, friends, uh, I want to take just a moment and thank you for your faithfulness over this last year. We've had a wonderful year here of great expansion, many, many new people who are part of the Turning Point family. I don't have any statistics, but I know it's one of the most um, explosive years of growth we have ever had. We're reaching people now in places we never dreamed we would ever go. 
And uh, I want to thank you for your support, for your prayers, for your faithful giving, and just for listening every day and being a part of this growing family of Bible lovers. And I pray that you will continue to use the Word of God in your life to give you guidance and direction. And let's pray for a great 2024 as we reach the world with the gospel. Don't forget, today's your last day to order Walking with Jesus, the devotional for 2024. It's yours for the asking when you send your year-end gift today. And don't forget to join us on Monday as we begin the new year together. 2024 begins with the message, A Psalm for a New Year. We'll talk about what this psalm teaches us as we look at the next 12 months that are ahead of us. And thank you so much again for being a part of this. We do this together every day, Monday through Friday. We've been doing it for many years, and God willing, we'll continue to do it for many years to come. Have a happy new year. God bless you. I'm David Jeremiah. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Jesus You May Not Know, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's sure to inspire you through the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday for a special New Year's message on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. E.W. Howe was an American writer in the early 20th century, known for his wry observations about life. He wrote that a good scare is worth more to a man than good advice. In other words, 
Sometimes we have to learn the hard way. The Bible's counsel is just the opposite. If we listen to wise counsel and sound advice, we can save ourselves the good scare and the hard knocks. For instance, the best advice in the Bible is to place one's faith in Jesus Christ. Something scary is in store for those who reject that advice. But by then, it will be too late. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's advice on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.